Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Amen and amen. I wish I could explain to you how hard it is for me not to sing. Uh, I, I see people from time to time who, they don't sing. They just sort of stare, you know, and I, I don't get that because, well, he so radically changed my life. I can't, I, it's the hardest thing. I'm, I'm, first song I did okay, and then Tina saw Jehovah Rapha was the second one. She looked at me, she gave me that eye, you know. <clears throat> don't you do it. Don't you do it. And so if you have your Bible tonight, if you will, join me in the book of Acts, if you will, Acts chapter 9. I know, strangely enough, the voice was very strong this morning. So, you know, we don't understand sometimes the events of the day. Um, But I will probably not be down in the altar this uh, evening, okay, for your benefit, all right? Uh, Just in case I should have something, I don't want to share the blessing. And so we'll have some of our team that will be there to meet you at the altar tonight. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse number 10. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse number 10. We talked this morning about one of our favorite things, interruptions, right? Isn't that something that you love to happen, things to interrupt your life? I remember there was no hands raised when I asked the question, if you love your life to be interrupted. And uh, I've thought about times in my life that it's been interrupted. Can you think about some interruptions that have been good? I mean, they were good interruptions, but they were interruptions. And we said that one would be children. You'd agree with that statement? Somebody, amen? They interrupt your life in a good way. And God uses them to change us and to shape us. Uh, Marriage interrupts your life. Somebody, amen, right there? Uh, be careful how you amen. Amen in a positive tone, right? Amen. And so, yeah, marriage can interrupt our life. Hey, death interrupts our lives, right? <clears throat> when we've maybe been married to someone for 70 years, and all of a sudden they're not at home with us anymore. So there's an interruption. Sickness interrupts our life. I'm telling you, if you think about it, our lives are interrupted way more than we really recognize. And so today we've been looking at the fact that interruptions are not necessarily bad, especially when they come from God, that interruptions can be good, right? This morning we said interruptions, and they really are good. Now, do you remember whose life was interrupted this morning? Saul. Now, that was his Roman name, excuse me, his Hebrew name. He had a Roman name as well that he was known more by his Gentile audience, and that was, do you know what it is? Paul. And we talked about the fact that he wrote about three quarters of the New Testament and how God chose this man and called him out of the darkness into his marvelous light, interrupted his life and used him to reach countless people all around the world. And so tonight we're going to pick up on the second part of what happened. You'll remember that he, uh, he gets, his question is when he humbles himself before the Lord and he realizes that Jesus Christ really is Lord, he poses a question to Jesus. Do you remember? What the, listen, it's a very important question. It's a question that each one of us should have posed to Jesus and should continually pose to Jesus, right? And that question that Paul or Saul opposed to Jesus was, do you remember? He started it with Lord. He said, Lord... What do you want me to do? And isn't that a radically different mindset than what America has taught us? America has taught us, do what you want to do. And this walk with Jesus looks like, what do you want me to do? And wouldn't you agree with me that we are a, we're a work in progress? 
Amen. I don't believe there's one among us tonight who could stand before the audience and say to each other, hey, you know what? I've got it nailed down perfectly. Uh, I do exactly what God wants me to do all the time. I don't think there's a soul among us that would dare be so arrogant as to say, in every area of my life, I'm completely surrendered. I do exactly what God wants me to do. So the good news is we're here, and I believe the Word of God and the Spirit of God are about to instruct us. So I want to encourage you. Would you stand to your feet with me in honor of reading God's Word? And we're going to pick up where we left off this morning. That was in verse number 10 of Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Now remember, when... Uh, when, when Saul says to Jesus, Lord, what do you want me to do? Uh, Jesus tells him. Uh, he says, arise, right? Get, in other words, get up and go back into the city, and I'm going to show you what, what you must do, what your life is going to look like, okay? So that's where we left off. Uh, just a reminder, in case you weren't with us this morning, and just to build on the message, does anybody remember who the author of the book of Acts is? Luke, most everyone is in agreement that Luke wrote it. Uh, remember, it was written to the same audience as the gospel according to Luke, and that was... Theophilus, and the purpose, uh, very similar. Uh, Luke's was to prove the life, teachings, and time, death, and resurrection of Jesus were absolutely true. And then the book of Acts was written to say, now this is what the actions of those people who have trusted in Jesus and surrendered to Jesus look like. And so you now begin, you see the big theme, now you understand why Luke is sharing with Theophilus about this man named Saul. Wouldn't you agree that his life is radically changed by the life, teachings, time, death, and resurrection of Jesus? Yeah, yes, radically changed. Uh, so we're going to pick up now in verse number 10, and we're going to read all the way down. Y'all ready for this? To verse number 19. Can you hang with me that long? All right, let's begin. Verse number 10. Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and Ananias said back to the Lord, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise. He's, he's bad about saying, get up, isn't he? Yeah, good about, maybe I should say good about saying get up, uh, and which would tell me that we're also good about sitting down. Okay, let's move on. Y'all didn't get that. All right, so the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. And that would also include Ananias. But the Lord said to him, go. I love that. Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him now many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he received his sight at once, and he arose, and he was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Let's pause for a word of prayer. Will you bow with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. Yesterday is over, and we are not promised tomorrow, but we have this day. And God, it amazes me. This many people said, well, I got a holiday tomorrow, but, but I'm going to the house of the Lord. And I thank you for them. 
I pray your blessing to be upon them tonight. I pray, Father, they would have um, absolute laser focus into what you want to say to us tonight. Father, I pray that we would be humble and open and that our lives would say, speak to our heart, God. So, Lord, I pray now as you help me to preach. And tonight, Lord, I need help in so many specific ways with this headache and this voice. Would you give me a touch and let me be used by you once again? And, Father, as you do that, and I trust that you will, would you also preach to me? God, I, like everybody here, need to hear what you have to say, what you've already said. And now, Lord, would you help us make application in our lives today? Speak to us now as a father to his children. And may we come away from tonight transformed by the renewing of our minds. We love you and we bless your name and we ask you to save the lost and heal the sick and draw the wayward and do what only you can do, the impossible. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And the people of God said... Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. <clears throat> We're going to rewind back to the beginning, all right? So, the title of tonight's message is somewhat similar, but a little bit different. The title is Interruptions That Lead to Assignments. Interruptions That Lead to Assignments. Have any of you ever had God to interrupt your life, and in that interruption, you received an assignment from the Lord? Anybody had that happen to you? I remember a number of years ago, I was out uh, running one night, and as I'm running, uh, the same still small voice I had heard for the first time at the age of 14 that said, I want you to feed my sheep. And I heard that, and I heard it for so many years, and I ran from it. And on that particular night, I'm running, but I I call it the heavy hand of God. You know what I'm talking about when I say the heavy hand of God? He doesn't press down from heaven and crush us, but he'll put a thought on our mind, on our head that we can't get away from. And as he did that, as I tried so hard to get away from it that night, I got on the side of my driveway out there uh, where Quincy, you know, right out there by your driveway, right about where you pull off the road into your house. I was over on the side of the road crying and, oh, if you'd have drove by, you'd have said, we got to get that guy some help. He's in a mess. We got to get somebody's done jumped on him. And I was crying. Crying out out loud to God, saying, I've known all along. Now, he knew I knew. But don't, isn't it interesting? We need to tell God sometimes and inform God. And I was telling him, Lord, I knew all along. You win, you win. And that interruption, that interruption transformed my life. It was a brand new assignment. And man, my life has never been the same uh, since that interruption. I pray tonight God might speak to you about an interruption in your life here tonight. I pray he might interrupt your ordinary routine, going through the motions type of living. And I pray that he would interrupt it in such a way you'd receive an assignment from him tonight. And you would full-fledged, both hands, both feet, your mind, your body, every part of you committed to say, Lord, I hear the instruction. I hear the assignment. I'm all in. I'm all in. So I pray that would be the outcome of tonight's message. Let's go back and rewind to the beginning, okay? So if you will, in your, in your scripture there, go back to verse number 10, and I want to give you, if I could, I've got about three tonight, and number one and number two have uh, subpoints one and two to go along with them, okay? So Roman number one in your notes, write this down. Interruptions can lead to assignments, right? Interruptions can lead to assignments. And, and truthfully, I would say that most interruptions lead to assignments. Because if we look at the interruption in Paul's life, it was an interruption that led to salvation, But doesn't salvation also entail assignments, right? So let me ask you a question, okay? How many of you know some of the assignments you and I both received the moment we said, I want yes to Jesus? All right, somebody tell me, what's what's one assignment we received? Make disciples. I love that one, boy. Y'all know I was looking like y'all better say Matthew 28, 19, 21st. (laughs) Because if not, I'm changing the message tonight. And so, to make disciples. What about some smaller, I won't say smaller in significance, but... But, but some smaller things like, and they really are huge things like, how about, how about the assignment to forgive? 
How, how about the assignment that when someone strikes one, one of your cheeks to, and, 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 and does you that way, that you're supposed to allow them instead of retaliating? How about the assignment that when someone asks you to borrow something, you're supposed to let them and not expect anything in return? How about the assignment? Here's one. Here's one. See how difficult this one. How about the assignment to be unified? Huh? And you'd agree that uh, the moment in which we invited Jesus to be Lord was a divine interruption, right? From, from death to life, from hell to heaven, from enemy to child, but also uh, from a life lived uh, aimlessly to a life filled with divine assignment from God. Now, by the way, that makes Monday worth getting up for. Uh, so let's dive in. Okay, Roman number one. Interruptions can lead to assignments. Look in verse number 10. Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him, the Lord said in a vision, he just simply said, y'all help me. What did he say? He just said his name. <laughs> and I just sometimes like to daydream a little bit about what was Ananias doing? Maybe he was watching football. Now, I know he wasn't watching football, but you understand what I mean. He was doing everyday uh, normal routine, right? He's going about his life as a follower of Jesus, just like you do and just like I do. Probably got up that morning, uh, got him some form of coffee, uh, maybe did some, some exercise, uh, got about the daily routine of his life, and he was doing life as usual. Listen, you ever find yourself just doing life as usual? You know, just sort of over and over and over again. And Ananias is doing that. In the middle of that, uh, the Lord calls his name, Ananias. Now, I love it because he didn't say, Ananias, do this, 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 this. He just simply calls his name. And let me just help you to see what I want you to write as the little number one under Roman number one. That is this. A disciple is always available. Would you write that down? A disciple. Now, when I say disciple, maybe you should add to that because, well, in my notes, I've got a disciple. But we need to add to that a disciple of Christ. Because the disciple is simply a follower of a teacher. You can be a disciple of, you know, anybody. But a Christian, a born-again believer, is a disciple of Christ, right? Of Jesus. And so, if you'd write that down there, a disciple is always available. Now, I want you to think about that as you write it. And ask yourself this question. Is that true about you? Are you, are you always available? Are you always sitting on go for God to use you and your family's life and your neighbor's lives and the lives of your children, your husband, your wife, your neighbors, uh, whether it be here in America or overseas abroad. Uh, is your, here's a question for you to write down. Is your yes on the table? And so let's look back, if we can, to verse number 10, all right? Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Tina, will you get me a couple of mints out of my bag? Thank you. Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him, the Lord said in a, in a vision, Ananias. And, and Ananias says back to Jesus. Y'all read with me. Here I am. Now, so y'all are watching the mints. Y'all didn't even pay attention to the verse. Huh? All right, let's try it again. Put your eyes on it so you can read it. And he said back. What did he call him? Listen, here's, here's an overarching theme I want you to see in this morning's message and tonight's message. Anytime you and I truly confess him as Lord, it changes everything. That's the confession. That's the confession. Changes everything. So he says, calls his name and he says, y'all help me. Here I am. Now, I want you to think for just a minute about how many times the Lord has called your name, called your number, uh, tried to get a hold of your attention, and you, like me, ignored him. You ever done that? Anybody other than me ever done that? Slip your hand up if you've ever ignored the voice of God and the prompting of the Holy Spirit and God's call sometimes on our life to do something or just to get our attention. I'm reminded of an Old Testament saint by the name of Jonah. 
And God said to him graciously, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach this message of salvation and repentance, and that the people would repent and be saved. And Jonah didn't even give God the respect to say no or yes. He just simply ignored him and went away. And I want you to think about the times in my life or your life. You can think about yours. I'll think about mine. The times in our lives when we know God is leading us to do something, when we know God is calling our name, when we know God's giving us an assignment, and we choose, in fact, to get on the boat and go to Tarshish, right? To just simply ignore him and act like we didn't feel that prompting and act like we didn't feel that conviction and act like we didn't really hear that and that thought didn't really come in our head and we go 100 miles an hour in the other direction. Let me just tell you something. What's on the other side of that is not beautiful. All right, so let's just look if we can. <clears throat> a disciple is available. He says, Ananias. And Ananias doesn't say, what was that? Uh, Ananias doesn't go out and cut the grass. <laughs> Ananias doesn't go to work that day. When Ananias hears the voice of the Lord call his name, what does he say? Here I am, Lord. Here I am. And what I want you to write to the side of that is simply the word available. And he says, here I am, God. Whatever you want to do today, here I am. Whatever you want to send me today, here I am. Whatever you want to, however long you want to keep me there today, here I am. Whatever you want me to give today, here I am. Lord, here I am. And I wish today that, that God might stir in your heart and my heart that our attitude would simply be when we wake up in the morning and all the way until we go to sleep at night, here I am, Lord, here I am. I'm available. I'm available. Isn't it interesting that we would say in our heart and mind that he is Lord and yet we dictate to him the terms of our availability? I'm only here, God, if you leave me in America. I'm only here, God, as long as I can make enough money. I'm only here, God, as long as you don't get me outside of my comfort zone. And oftentimes we, when you say we thwart the work of God in, that, he, that he wants to do in our lives, well, let me say it this way, through our lives by not being available. So a disciple is, y'all help me, a disciple of Christ is what? Here's a few questions I wrote down that I want to share with you. All right, the first one is this. Just write it down there in your notes. Wrestle with it for just a minute. Does God have the right to send you wherever he desires? Think about that now. Think about that. I, I know the biblical answer, but I'm talking about you. I'm talking about if you go to sleep at night, God speaks to your heart on your bed, and you're supposed to go to China, sell everything you've got, and live the rest of your days in China. Does God have the right to do that? Are you worried about your family, your children, your grandchildren? And you have too much invested here in America that you say, you know what? I'm going to follow you, Jesus, and I'm available for you, but, but, but not there but not there. Because it's easy for me and you to say, yeah, oh, yes, yes, preacher, Sunday night, I'm here at church, man. It's the night before Labor Day. Of course I'm available. But boy, it's altogether different when God asks you to do something or go somewhere that you don't want to go. And it may not be China that he asks you to go. It may be to your enemy, the one who's hurt you the most, the one who stabbed you in the back, the one who's not like you, the one who looks different than you, dresses different than you, talks different than you, makes fun of you. And he sends you. All right, so does God have the right to send you wherever you go? Don't answer this out loud. Write it down on your notes there. Uh, does, he, does he have the right to send you whenever he wants? Or, or is your answer, Lord, I'll, I'll go when I complete A, B, C, and D. I'll go, I heard somebody say this not too long ago. You know, I'm, I'm, I said, well, let's, let me tell me about what your ministry is for. The, well, right now, we're, we're just going to church and, and soaking in and growing. And when we retire, our plan is to travel around and share the gospel. I said, well, when are you retiring? Well, we hope to retire in about 10 years. I said, wait, wait just a minute. Hold on. So what you're telling me is you spent 20, how long have you been saved? 20 years. And you're telling me you're going to spend 10 more years. And 30 years of your life, you're going to be unavailable to the Lord until you retire. I want you to just sort of think about that tonight and think about how oftentimes we live deceived that, that Jesus is Lord when really the truth is we say, you can be Lord as long as you send me where I want to go, when I want to go, 
All right? Let me move on if I can. So he desires, is he, is he, does he have the right to send you wherever he desires? Does he have the right to send you whenever he desires? And does he reserve the right to send you for however long he desires? Well, I got work. Well, I got my family. Well, I got grandkids, man. What do you mean? And so oftentimes, I'm telling you, we approach life like God says, Ananias, and we say, not right now. I've got these grandbabies. Ananias, not right now. I've got this job that I'm, these jobs that I'm doing. I'm building this business up, God. And so we want to be careful to understand that a disciple of Christ is, y'all help me, available. Available. Now listen, we're looking down at the carpet. We don't have to look at the carpet. This is just time for us to realize that maybe some things in our life needs adjusting, right? Not that God wants to beat us over the head with anything, but, but that we might look at our life and say, wow, truth is, somebody right now, God's highlighting in your heart and mind something he's been calling you to do, and you've been pushing him off and ignoring his voice and waiting until later, and I'm telling you, maybe before the night's over, you're divinely interrupted, and you go ahead and get about the assignment. Let me read a little further along, all right? <clears throat> I wrote a little uh, other question here that I want to share with you. Does he have the right to ask me uh, for however much he desires to ask me to give? Uh, does he have the right, whether it be time, whether it be talent, whether it be treasures? Oftentimes we get in debates about whether or not tithing is a New Testament principle. I've always said that tithing is not a command anywhere in the Scripture. As a matter of fact, what you find, the first example of tithing is to Melchizedek. And we find that Abram is, is tithing to him as a response. Are you with me? As a response to the magnitude of God. And so it's not a command. It's an expectation. And someone said to me, then do you believe that tithing is a New Testament principle? I said, well, the Scripture says that we will receive back with the same measure that we give. So if you're good with wanting to get 10% uh, blessing, or God's favor in your life, then, then yes. And more than that, do you think it's a, here's the question to really wrestle with. Do you think it's a generous response to God's provision in your life? Just 10, you think 10%? So if we said we're going to keep 90% of your check and just give you 10, do you think your boss would be generous? Just something to think about. So uh, we're talking tonight about being available as a follower of Jesus. Second thing I want you to see is found in verse 11 and 12. Put your eyes there with me, if you will. So interruptions can lead to assignments. Ananias, I don't know what he's doing that day, but I'll just say he's doing life as usual. And God calls his name. And by the way, let me just pause right here and say, I'm thankful God calls ordinary men like Ananias' name. I'm thankful he calls ordinary, less than ordinary men like Terry Fant's name. I'm thankful that he would even dare allow me to be a part of his great divine plan of redemption for mankind. Hallelujah, that my life could matter and outlive the short amount of days I'll be given here on the earth. Three of us are excited about that. I hope the rest of y'all will get it, man. It fires me up to get up in the morning and know that God would use my life to do something greater than just, you know, lay asphalt. All right, here we go. Number two, the assignment. Now, here's what I want you to get in this. The assignment may be unpopular. Okay, the assignment may be unpopular. The assignment may be unpopular. Where do you find that? Verse number 11 and 12. So imagine, if you will, that you are Ananias, and you're going about life as usual, and all of a sudden you hear the voice of the Lord, and the Lord calls your name, and you respond back to the Lord, here I am, here I am. Basically, here's my life, here's my time, you got my attention, go ahead, speak, talk to me. And the next thing, you know, you might want to hear him say, uh, I want you to go here, I want you to do this, <clears throat> and he says what he says next, all right? Now, remember, this morning we said that, that Saul was, in today's time, would be the captain of the ISIS army. And can you imagine God saying to you, now, we, we know that you've seen some of the things that Osama bin Laden and others have done, but we want you to go to his house. And we want you to, he's, he's, he's in a house, now you're not going to take a guard with you, 
And you're not going to take the U.S. military with you. You're just going to go on in the house where he is. And you're going to lay hands on him. Now, some of y'all are having bad thoughts right now. And you're going to lay hands on him. Listen, listen to what he says, verse 11. Arise, get up, and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. Now, as those words left the mouth of God and entered the ear of Ananias. Don't you know he began to think about all of the people that Saul has tortured and killed. He had to have because he's going to say it next. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, isn't that a lack of faith? When I hang on, hang on, isn't it logical for Ananias to know that God was on the throne while Saul was killing people for putting their trust in Jesus? Sure he was. So in his sovereignty, God has at least, because of the crooked and perverse free will of man, allowed Saul to do the things that he did. Didn't cause it, but allowed it. And so now Ananias is thinking, now wait a second, (laughs) I know you're God, but you know what he did? And don't you know he's thinking, see, because you and I think about Saul and it's, it's way, it's history thousands of years ago. But it wasn't history for Ananias. He knew people. It's people that were his brothers and sisters in the faith. How'd you feel if somebody came in and massacred about half of us in here tonight and by himself? And then God said, now I want you to go to that man's where he is. Now he's killed your brothers and sisters. He's starved them. He's, he's separated them from their families, mom, husbands, wives, children. They've been stoned to death publicly. You know, beheading is a lot more merciful. And I want you to go to that man. Can you imagine that? Can you, can you imagine what your answer would be? Now, I love it because most of the time when you ask people, like, oh, yeah, I'd go. <laughs> really? Really? And the one who may be your cousin or your brother or your sister or your child. And I want you to go to him. And I want you to, let's, let's read the second verse. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his, anybody with me? His hand on him. And when he puts his hand on him so that he would receive his sight. Now, there's a whole lot that's really, really, really difficult in what, and unpopular about what God is calling Ananias to do. First of all, to get close enough to this murderer to put your hands on him is one thing. But then to guarantee when you do put your hands on him, he's blind right now, which by the way, wouldn't we all say if he killed half of us in here, I'd say, man, I'm glad he's blind. I hope he stays that way. Right? I know I'm probably the only unspiritual person sometimes in here. Some of y'all are looking like, I would never think that. And yet, he's saying, here's the promise of God. When you go and lay your hands, I'm going to restore his sight. He's going to see again. Now, I know just, just that one factor would cause me to say, I ain't going. I ain't going. The rascal deserves not to see. He's harmed too many people. And so what happens, I just want to say with you that a disciple of Christ is always available, but the assignment, you need to understand, and I need to understand, the assignment may be unpopular. It may be difficult. God may send you somewhere that doesn't have air conditioning. Anybody out there? Well, y'all could be so still and quiet, it's like a picture sometimes. (laughs) He may send you somewhere that doesn't have air conditioning. He may send you somewhere you have to sleep on a foam mat or on the floor. And so we need to be careful that we don't say yes to him only if the assignment is popular and easy and safe and pleasurable. Let me move on if I can. Roman numeral two, all right? So first we said interruptions can lead to assignments. Y'all help me, okay? A disciple of Christ is always 
available. Now, here's our prayer from that. God, help me to be more available to you. Okay, we're not we're not talking about other people, our husbands, our wives, our friends. You know, we have a tendency to point to everybody else and think about everybody else. We, me and you need to pray that for ourselves. God, help me to be more available. Right. Uh, to 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 serve in the nursery, to share the gospel, to live uh, out this testimony that Jesus has saved me. And therefore, now I am a servant. I want to just sort of press on if I can. OK, picking up now in verse number 13. Y'all still everybody OK? Boy, the voice feels like it's getting stronger. Hallelujah. We're going to make it. All right. Roman number two, the war within. The war within. Do you ever struggle with the will of God in your life? You ever find yourself when God gives you an assignment or tells you what he wants you to do or prompts you and maybe you try to ignore him or you try not to or you just sort of, you ever find yourself struggling with what God wants you to do versus what you want to do? I know I do. And sometimes it can be some of the most, matter of fact, let me say this. I want to tell you for just a minute about the member of Hickory Ridge that gives me the most trouble. Now, I like that right there. Some of y'all are like, oh, he's supposed to call my name. Oh, no. You may have given me some trouble over the years. Let me say this. It pales in comparison to the trouble I've given myself. The guy in this gathering that gives me the most difficulty is the guy that looks back in the mirror at me when I brush my teeth in the morning and in the evening. He's the guy that when the Spirit of God speaks, it is the voice of the nature of Adam in me that says, you don't need to do that. You don't have to do that. That's not going to be fun. That's not going to be easy. And it's, that voice is always contrary to what the voice of God is saying in our life. And we're going to see it here in Ananias' response. It's subtle. It's, it's not too brash. It's not too arrogant, but we're going to see it, okay? Look for it, if you will, in verses 13 and 14. We're going to look at 13 through 16. We're going to break it down to two different things here, okay? So pick it up in verse 13. And Ananias answered the Lord. So remember, he says, Ananias, he says, here I am. Oh, you see him? He's like a little kid. Here I am. Here I am. Send me. What, what, do, you, what, do, you, what do you have for me? Reminds me of Isaiah chapter 6. Then here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am. Here I am. And God says, here, I got something for you. I need you to go to the captain of the ISIS army. And I know he slaughtered your family members and your brothers and sisters in the face, but I want you to go lay your hands on him. And when you do, you're going to be a blessing to him. He's going to be able to see again. Now let's hear his response, verse 13. And Ananias answered, <clears throat> I love this because he does address him the right way. What does he say? Lord. But then the rest of it is a little bit of a contradiction to the term Lord. Right? Do you see it? Do you see it? What's he doing here? Uh, well, Lord, in case you don't know... I have heard, because, you know, Ananias has better connections than God does, and Ananias has better feelers out there, and, and, and better, you know, uh, better information than God, except he doesn't, and, and don't we do the same thing? God, you want me to do what? Don't you know this and that? And, and so Ananias answered and said, Lord, now I, I've heard from, I love this, not just one person, y'all help me out, I've heard from many about this particular guy. See, God didn't say, I want you to go somewhere. He named him. I love that because I believe with all my heart, God wanted Ananias to wrestle through this and come to a place of obedience. And how do you know that? Because he didn't say, hey, I got a guy over here I need you to go pray for. That's not that difficult, is it? But when he said Saul, and he didn't say any Saul, because Saul is a pretty popular name. But when he said Saul of Tarsus, you know what? Ding, ding, ding. Ananias said, whoa, 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 whoa. I know exactly who that is. I know exactly what he's done. And God, you may have forgotten or you may have... Some of them may not have told you. And so what I want you to write down, little number one, under the war within, write this down if you will. We struggle to make God's ways like our ways. What I mean is, because there is no one in our lives like God, we struggle to make God like people that we know. 
You see, everybody in your life could be misinformed except God. Let me run that one by you again. Everybody, even the wisest person in your life who you go to for counsel and information and, and advice and encouragement can be misinformed. If you understand that, say amen. But God can never be misinformed. But what Ananias was doing because he was struggling with his will versus the will of God because the nature of the flesh is contrary to the spirit of God, he begins to try and bring God's understanding down to a man. So maybe God's like John or Billy and Terry and he has to, I need to help him understand the situation. And so surely he doesn't mean to call me to preach, and surely he doesn't mean to call me to do this, and surely he doesn't mean to call me to go to that place and to that person and to those people, except he does. And Ananias is struggling here to make God's ways like like his own ways. Let me give you a verse, Galatians chapter 5, verse number 17. Write it down in your notes there. For the flesh, y'all read along with me, Galatians 5 and verse 17. For the flesh lusts against the spirit. And the spirit against the flesh. Do you ever have a war going on inside of you? And these are, I love this nice, neat little word here, don't you? Contrary to each other. Uh, that's not a very good depiction of what it looks like in my heart. It's, it's dog eat dog in there sometimes. You know? Contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things that you wish. And you might be sitting there today saying, oh, no, no. I never do that. I always do. And yet I would point you to Romans chapter 7 where the apostle Paul himself said, the things that I do not want to do, I find myself doing. And the things I know I should do, I don't have the strength and power in my own being to carry out the will of God in my life. And he ends that chapter, remember, by saying, who will save this wretched man that I am? And I'm so glad he doesn't give a, a, a list, a series of steps to get there. But he says, thanks be to God, uh, to Jesus Christ, who gives us the victory. Amen? And so I want you to know that there's a war that rages, but there's an answer for the war. And he has a name. His name is Jesus. So what we need to consider tonight is that our understanding, listen, is so very limited. Would you write that somewhere? Our understanding is so very limited. Now this, listen, this statement will help you in a lot of ways. It'll, it'll help you not to try to inform God. It'll help me and you to try not to second guess God or to talk God out of calling us to a certain specific assignment. That's what Ananias was doing, wasn't it? Just subtly, smoothly. Hey, if it had been a man he was dealing with, it might have worked. But he wasn't dealing with a man. He was dealing with... God. And God, I love it, sees right through it. And let me just say, he sees right through your excuses and my excuses. And I want you to see that our understanding is so very limited. And yet, and yet, listen, and yet the sad reality is that we make most of our decisions based on our understanding. Now you think about that for a minute. It's why so much of our life is ordinary or less. It's why many of our lives are void of the supernatural power of God. Because we, listen, we just sort of do what we can understand. And we sort of limit what we're willing to do based on what we want to do. And we try and shape God into our way. I'm telling you, listen, I'm telling you, we struggle trying to make God fit in our ways. We can only see what we can see. How many of you understand that statement? Why is this happening? Why did this person die? Why is this cancer? Why is this? And all we can see is the time frame inside of us, right in front of us. Somebody said, no, no, preacher, we can see the past. Really? If I ask you the details of three weeks ago of the of Monday morning, I promise you, you won't remember much of it. And what you remember will be, some of it will be backwards from what really happened. So we can't even see the past. And we were there. And we certainly can't see the future where we are not. 
but God can. And it's why we ought to learn to trust him. When he says, I want you to go to Saul of Tarsus, a very unpopular assignment, something you don't think you can do, something you don't want to do, you can do it if you'll trust him. So let me just move on. We can only see what we can see, right? We can, listen to this, we cannot see potential. Are y'all rocking with me? We can't see potential in people. What, what did, listen, what was it that, uh, that Ananias saw in Saul? A murderer. Now, in case you didn't know, he's a murderer. And, and I love it what he does because he's real slick here. He thinks he is. He says, and by the way, he's killed your people. Right? Remember, he didn't just kill anybody. He killed your people. Right? And he's trying his best because he cannot see the potential of Saul of Tarsus. Hey, as you read the New Testament... Can you even fathom the kind of potential that was locked into this man of darkness when the Lord Jesus shined his light in his heart and transformed his life? Man, you're talking about a man who God used in magnificent ways. And I want to say to you that no matter where you've been or what you've done, you have potential out of this world. Are you kidding me? And not just that, some of the people you've given up on... Some of the people you're not willing to continue to chase after or pray for or share the gospel with, they also, in the midst of their addiction and in the midst of their failures, have great potential. Saul of Tarsus did. Terry Fant did. Quincy Lewis did. Shane Frazier did. I could look around this room and call every name out in the room that I've heard your testimony and heard about you. Isn't it good to know that you and I, many of us right now, are walking in just a little bit of that potential that Jesus has unlocked for us. Hallelujah. Isn't it fun? It's fun, isn't it? Seeing the potential. I'm thinking about the rain sitting there in front of me, both of them nodding and smiling. Man, the potential that you guys are walking in now and how much is still out there to be had. So he said, no, we, can only see, we cannot rather see potential. A couple other things. We only know what we know, but we think we know. Oh, somebody read the mail. We only know what we know, but we think we know. Everything. And we all struggle with that. We feel as though, listen, because of that, we feel like Ananias that we should educate God. And what we need to settle in our hearts tonight is that God will never need to be educated on any subject. Never. Now, what happens is when we live in this vein of our own understanding of our limited vision and our limited knowledge, it causes us to second guess God and his interruptions and his assignments. We look at the interruption and we think this is a bad day, this is a bad situation, this is a bad season, right? And we misinterpret that God is, in fact, in the middle of something horrible, doing something good. But also, that there are going to be some assignments that come out of it that aren't always easy, but they benefit the kingdom and they'll outlive me and you. Let me just move on. It causes us to second guess God, right? Or worse, you ready? Or worse, disobey God. See, Ananias didn't disobey God. He just second-guessed him. But what happens oftentimes when we linger in the second-guessing, we end up disobeying, right? And, no, did I really hear that now? Okay, never mind. Let's keep rocking. So, number two under Roman numeral two. One was we struggle to make God's ways like our ways. Look in verse 15 and 16. Write this down. God has a plan higher than ours. And by the way, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that you're not the one who was responsible for planning out eternity? Can you imagine all the twists and turns in your little life? Can you imagine doing that for, uh, what, six or seven billion people, and that's just who are currently on the planet? Can you imagine, like, all the ones that live before us and all the ones who live after us and all the events of the future and his return and all this? Can you imagine keeping up with all that? Man, I can't even find my keys most time. And yet God does it without breaking a sweat. 
and without, listen, and without needing our help to educate him, to second guess him. Let me move on, all right? God has a plan higher than our own. Verse 15 and verse 16, okay? So Ananias says, Lord, I'm in verse, I'm gonna just read 13 and 14, go into it. I have heard from many about this man, how, he, how much harm he has done to, I love it, your saints, your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has a thought, by the way, by the way, where he's at right now, in this city, in this city, he's got papers. And don't we sometimes put more stock in the ways of man? And what the court systems say, and don't we oftentimes put more stock in that, in the Constitution, and, and elected officials than we do in the word of the living God? He's got papers, God. He's got papers. Isn't that funny? That we would look at God and say to him, he's got papers. And yet we do it. Let me move on. I'm trying to move on from that point, okay? I really am. Verse 15, but the Lord said back to him, <clears throat> I love it, there is no bartering there is no back and forth, you know. God doesn't say, mm, you know what, Ananias, you make a good point. Maybe I should consider that and what I did. <laughs> because nothing ever occurs to God. Amen. And so he says in verse number 15, one word, y'all say with me. Go. Go. Don't you hear it? Firm yet loving. You say, how is it loving? Because he could have said, never mind, I'll use somebody else. Don't miss that. He goes, oh, you don't want to go? Never mind, you'll miss that blessing. I'll use somebody else to do it. So he's loving, but it's also firm. I call it grace and truth, right? He's gracious to give Ananias the opportunity to still go and be a part of God's eternal plan of redemption. And at the same time, he's firm to say, go. You ever do that with your children? They go, you know, they try to talk back to you and try to inform you. Your kids ever try to inform you of stuff? Isn't that interesting? You know, 14, 15, especially when they're like 12, 13, 14, boy, they can just kind of teach you all kind of stuff. And you find yourself saying, just go. <laughs> just, just, just go brush your teeth, like I said. So he says, go. <clears throat> Four, now God begins to explain something to him about his way. He says, he, this, this murderer, <clears throat> this one who has destroyed families and, and tortured people, not just any people, but the people of God. And God says, go, for he, he, Saul of Tarsus is a, I want you to, if you mark in your Bible, you ought to circle and underline chosen vessel. What in heaven's name would you choose that guy for? Well, in your, in my limited understanding, you wouldn't. But in the infinite wisdom of God, he wanted somebody who was a Roman citizen, also a Jew, one who could speak so many different languages, one who could understand the Old Testament backwards and forwards, and now with an understanding of the new covenant that was now being sealed and was going to, and has been sealed in the blood of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. He was, in fact, the perfect missionary as you watch his life and how God used him. And so he is a chosen vessel, and then you ought to circle the next two words, of mine. Oh, that God would even claim me and you as his own is above me. It's above me. That God would look down at me and you and say, hmm, he's mine. He's mine. Chosen vessels of mine. Now, he said, I've chosen this vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles. But not just the Gentiles, <clears throat> but before kings. And, and, and also the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So the little number two was God has a plan higher than our own. Listen, what you and I are responsible to do is to trust him and obey him. How many of you remember that old song? Trust and obey. I'm not going to try to sing his voice as squeaky as it can possibly be. But to trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust 
and obey. Trust him. Go to Ananias. It's going to be hard. He's a murderer. He didn't just do you wrong. He just didn't hurt your feelings. He didn't just mess with your, with your wife or with your kids. He, he didn't, he, he, he's tortured and killed folks. Go to him. And lay your hands on him. And pray for him. Now let me ask you to be careful for just a minute. About generalizing a specific text in the scripture. You with me? Now here's a side note. Some of you are saying, oh, well then, the Bible says I'm supposed to go to the captain of the ISIS army and lay my hand. You better not unless God tells you to. And you better make sure you've prayed up, you've fasted, and it was God speaking to you, not the pizza that you had last night. Anybody tracking with me? Some people will take a specific part of the scripture and they will make it general. And they'll say, well, all of us are supposed to go to the captain of the ISIS armies and lay hands on them. No, no, no. Everybody didn't. Ananias did. And every Pharisee that was doing that didn't have their hands laid on them, but Saul of Tarsus did. So be careful to be led of the Holy Spirit. And understand it's a case-by-case, day-by-day, person-by-person. You can't just take a general information and go apply it like a textbook. You've got to take in the information, know some of them are unpopular, and listen for the voice of the Lord. Boy, isn't that fun? By the way, that's exciting to me. It's fun. It's fun to just say, Lord, all right, what do you have for me today? Now, as we walk on through this thing, we said that we've got to trust and obey. Number three, finally, number three. And then we will be done. Can you believe that? Verse 17 to 19, would you write this down? Roman number three. We're going to look for just a minute at the impact of surrender. The impact of surrender. So number one was the interruptions can lead to assignments, right? Y'all, I know y'all are writing, but just sort of track with me if you can, all right? Roman number one, interruptions can lead to assignments. We said a disciple of Christ should always be available. And number two, the assignment may be unpopular, okay? Number two, Roman number two, we said the war within. What's the war? We hit the assignment, we're available, but we struggle to make God's ways like our ways with our limited knowledge and perspective. Number two, God has a plan higher than our own, right? And then Roman number three, the impact of surrender. Now I wonder sometimes about the impact of my life, the days that God has measured carefully out for me, starting on November the 23rd, 1977, and I don't know when they'll end. It may be tonight, it may be tomorrow, maybe 50 years. I don't know when it'll be, but I know they'll come to an end here. And I oftentimes lay on the bed at night or when I wake up in the morning and wonder what impact the days that he's given me and the three great resources that he has provided for me after Jesus for my salvation, right? He has provided me for my life here on the earth, the church, the word, and the spirit. I have these wonderful resources given to me of God. And the question I wrestle with sometimes is what impact will I have had when my time is up? And I can't think, listen, I, I've, I've done so many funerals, I've heard so many things and seen so many different examples, and, and I'm telling you what grieves my heart more than anything is to get up on the platform and force a smile when all the family has to say about him is that daddy was an outdoorsman. He loved the outdoors and he loved his family. Did he ever make a disciple? No, but he loved his family and he loved the outdoors. And I think about about a month after he's gone, he'll have no impact. He may have encouraged his children, but they're going to miss him. And in a several years, 50 years, 100 years, his kids will be dead. And, and, and so what I want you to see is too many lives are wasted down here with zero impact. And wouldn't it be right of us to say, I don't want my life, my time here to be an empty existence? I don't want to just enjoy the outdoors and love my family, although those are two great things. Y'all know I love both of them. I want to make disciples until my time is up. I want to comfort the hurting. I want God to send me to speak truth to my brothers 
and my sisters. I want God to use me in areas where I can share my testimony one-on-one and to groups and to wherever he would send me and whenever he would send me and for however long he would send me. And can you imagine the end of the race? Let's see what happens here. So pick up with me, if you will, in verse number 17. Ananias, I love it because Ananias doesn't argue with God anymore. He didn't argue with the Lord Jesus anymore. He just, Ananias went his way and entered the house. Now, can you imagine approaching the door? Any of y'all a little nervous? You know, you're thinking, all right, is this an ambush? Now, I know what God said, but he did kill a lot of his people. (laughs) And so here I'm one of his people. I'm the target, but I'm going to go in here. I can imagine, I'd be saying, I wonder if he's really blind. You know? And just before you cross the threshold of the house going in, you know, the thoughts that would be going through your head. And the scripture says in verse 17, Ananias went, went his way and entered the house, and he did exactly, listen to me, when you want to know, you want to know how you know for certain that you are a follower of the Lord Jesus when you do what he says do. Against your opposition, against, against my misunderstanding, when we just say, you know what, he's God and I'm going to do it. And he goes right in, and he lays his hands. Don't you know, it was a, don't you know hey, can't you see? And you know, you know Saul, he can't see. And, and can you see Ananias coming in? And he's thinking, man, I wonder if he really can see me. I've been waving my hands or something, you know. Maybe clapping, see if he blinks. I, I don't know. And, and he gets up close to him, and what it must have felt like to extend his hands out to him. And knowing that this man was responsible for the death of your own brothers and sisters in the, in the faith... Some of us have a tough time forgiving people when all they've done is talked about us. And he goes right in because God said to. And he puts his hands on him. Listen to what he calls him. Do you see how he dresses him? Anybody, anybody see that? Say it with me. What does he call him? See, only Jesus can turn your enemy into your brother. Only Jesus can cause you to forgive the offenses of those who've harmed you and worked against you and done things to difficult, make your life hard. And you can love them as good or better than you ever loved them before. And he goes right to him, puts his hand on him, and he says, Brother Saul. Now, he's already born again, right? He's already called Jesus Lord. Now, what I want you to see in that is, remember, it wasn't a changing of the name the moment that he was saved. He had a, a Hebrew name, Saul, and he had a Roman name, Paul. And as he gets a little closer to ministering specifically to the Gentiles, he then begins about a chapter 13 of Acts, begins to be referred to as specifically Paul. So going back to the text, read with me, verse 17. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Boy, I don't know about you guys, but I see grace. And does anybody there see unconditional love? To say to this murderer, I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I, I I want you to be able to see again. I want you to struggle with blindness. I want you to be able to see. And I'm about to lay hands and pray for you, and you're going to be able to see again. And all of the human ways of thinking and the retaliation and the anger and the bitterness and the unforgiveness that so plagues me and you is washed away by the power of obedience to doing what Jesus said to do. And he says, Brother Saul, and he goes on, read with me in verse number 18, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. Now, can you imagine what that looked like? Something like scales. I don't even want to imagine. And he received his sight, not in a bunch of meetings, but all at once. And he arose, and he was baptized. Now, one other thing I want to point out here, because we're, just, we're learning, right? We, we, anytime we get into the, to the book and his word, we, we're learning. Someone said to me not too long ago, they said, man, Cuba's got it right. 
And I said, all right, I'm interested. Talk to me. Cuba's got it right, man. Here's what they do in Cuba. In Cuba, when somebody gets saved, they won't let them get baptized until they do six months discipleship before they get baptized. And it, it was about five pastors. And boy, they're just talking it up. And they're talking it up. And I said, wait a minute. Hang on. I, I hate to be the, you know, sometimes I'm that guy. I said, do you have a verse to support that? Anywhere? Like, can you think of one time from Genesis to Revelation, specific to the New Testament, that anybody went to a six-month training program before they went to the water and were baptized? And they all looked at me real sillily. Sillily, is that a word? And I said, I'll, I'll answer it for you guys. There are none. What instead you'll find is when men or women gave their life to Christ and they, and they invited Jesus to be Lord and they confessed him as Lord, they would go to the water. <clears throat> Amen. They wouldn't go through a program. Discipleship is a lifelong process. If you think you can cram it in six months and they've gotten enough to then therefore be worthy of baptism, that's hogwash. The word of God says, man, that he received his sight. He had put his faith in Jesus and he got up and what did he do? Baptized. Immediately was baptized. Some of you have been putting that off. You need to stop it. Some of you in here are listening out there, listening to the podcast later, are in your mind thinking, one day when I get good enough, I'll follow through with baptism. That's nonsense. It's a lie of the devil. You need to go public if you put your hope and trust in Jesus and you've been saved by his precious blood. You need to go public with it. You need to go public. I don't know who that's for, but it's for somebody. And so as we walk on through and finish this thing up, read along with me, verse 18. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. And so when he had received food, and isn't that something very important to do, like right after you get your vision back? Or more specifically, after you've gone three days without eating? It's time to what? Let's eat. <laughs> Let's eat. Somebody said, man, all the church ever does is gather and eat. Now, they don't say that here because we don't, we don't do that a lot, whole lot. But they say most churches, all they do is gather and eat. I said, well, I mean, in the Scripture, they ate a lot too, you know. So when he was, had received food and he was strengthened, Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Now don't miss that last term, disciples, two things, at a specific place. Now let's define the terms, disciples. They are followers of the way. Okay, now where are they? Damascus. At Damascus. Is that, is that jarred anything for anybody? He was going to meet with them. That was his whole intent. He was coming for them. He really was wanting to meet those guys and gals. He was, remember? He's riding in a town, man. He can't wait to meet these guys. <laughs> but, but let me just tell you, his intent changed when Jesus changed his heart. He came to kill them. He came to separate them. He came to arrest them. He came to drag them out of their houses. And now he's fellowshipping with them. I, I want you to understand something about this king, this savior, that, that is Jesus. He's able to transform you from the inside to the outside, backwards and forwards, up and down. He will, in fact, make you new. He'll give you the capacity to love those who hate you and use your life to have impact beyond the short little days that you've been given here in this life. Now, for some of us, we've wasted several of those, right? If we look at our life and we think about how old we are or how young we are or how middle-aged we are, we think about the days that are behind us. And I heard the other day that the average median age in America is, for the male, you know what it is? 73. Uh-oh, some of y'all just like, wait, what? <laughs> when did it change? <laughs> some of y'all just got startled, right? Uh, the average median age. But here's what you need to know. People check out way before that. And so, with the limited amount of days, we, want, we ought to desire our lives to have impact that outlive us, 
that bring glory and honor to his name. When we live, listen, when you and I live in loving obedience, our lives begin to be part of God's redemptive plan. Now, I don't mean, I don't mean all the salvation accomplished. Jesus did that on the cross and his powerful resurrection. But he invites me and you into the mission to go share that good news with the world and to put our arms around people, teaching them all the things that Jesus has commanded and taught us. Being mindful that he's with us until the end of the age. So tonight I want you to consider the fact that interruptions that sometimes lead to assignments. And I want you to bow your head with me for just a moment. And I want you to consider what it means to trust and obey. Trust and obey. Think about this great truth. Our little lives can impact eternity. If we'll let him, if we'll follow him, if we'll say yes to his assignments, if we'll not resist the interruptions, if we'll listen for what he's doing, God will use us to bring others to himself and to their place of fulfillment within his church. God will do that. He'll do it with your little life and my little life. Wouldn't it be awesome if we left out here tonight and said, you know what, I'm just going to trust and obey. That's it. Somebody tonight, God's thought about an interruption that's happened in your life just recently. I, I'm not trying to tell you that the interruption's easy. <clears throat> are, you, are you listening to my voice right now? I'm not trying to tell you that the interruptions in your life are easy. My, none of the interruptions in my life have been easy either. But what I'm telling you is in the midst of the interruption, you can trust him. You can trust him. He's God. I want to beg you tonight not to lean on your own understanding. I want to beg you tonight to not lean on your own power to forgive, to heal, to, to say yes when he directs. I want to I leave you with this. I want to beg you to draw near to Jesus. I want to beg you to do that. Draw near to him. Start your day off with him. Listen for him. Talk to him. And watch as he changes the trajectory of your day, your marriage, your life. Just one day at a time. It's not that complicated. Just one day at a time. So I want to say that the altar is open. And I wonder if there's a brother or sister may just come pray. I don't know what the Spirit may be directing to you tonight. Matter of fact, would you stand with me tonight? Would you stand to your feet just to make it easier for those around you? Maybe somebody's assignment tonight is to take somebody in here and go pray with them. And that assignment doesn't feel popular because it's not something you normally do. And yet right now it's almost overwhelming. The Spirit is speaking to you. Take your husband, take your wife, take your friend, take your child and go to the altar and just pray for them. You maybe have never done that before in your whole life. I challenge you, whatever the Spirit of God is calling you to do, would you do that? If you've never invited Jesus to be Lord, can I tell you there's no better time than right now? Just simply put your hope and trust in what Jesus has done for you on the cross. He died in your place, just like it was my place. He rose from the dead. And if you'll trust Him in such a way as to step off the throne of your heart, which means to repent, turn away from your own way, and invite Jesus to be Lord. Call Him Lord, not just with your mouth, but with your heart. He'll save you. He'll show you a whole new way to live. He'll help you. He'll be your strength and your strong tower. So the altar is open. I've got some that are going to be helping me at the altar. I think if you all will come and help me do that. As the Spirit of God leads you and directs you, as we lift our voices in song, you come. Shane and Dawn are down. and Brother Jimmy's down. 
Johnny, you may come help us if, if, you, if you would. You, Miss Beverly. So we have ladies. These ladies are here for you. Just whatever the Spirit of God puts on your voice. Maybe the assignment is for you to come pray for one of these couples that are down front. I don't know what it is, but, <clears throat> but I pray you'd be obedient. So, Father, in Jesus' name, would you do what only you can? Moving our hearts calls us to be humble and obedient. In Jesus' name, amen.